Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. Stop it, John. John's over here minding me. <laughs> I'm Cody Fields. I'm the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar, westminstereffects.com. Join in the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Share the show, blah, 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 blah. We're running short on time. I'm joined in person by... Hey, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church, Greer, South Carolina. And via the interwebs by the one mocking me. Indeed. John Rossog's Pergian Christian, Westminster Effects artist, and uh, expecting a delivery from Lyman, South Carolina this afternoon, uh, which yes. I'm greatly appreciative and excited for. By the way, oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm selling my Strymon timeline overrated. Mm, um, I still enjoy mine, but whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems... It's complicated. I don't know. Fair enough. Anyways, yeah. Fair enough. Yep. So, uh, to jump right into the main topic today, I thought we haven't done one of those episodes where we just kind of talk about what we're chewing on in a minute. We've we've done a couple of them, and uh, they always end up being pretty fun. Mm. So, I have two things uh, that I've been kind of uh, just kind of chewing the cud a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) so over the weekend (laughs) my wife really really wanted to see the new Nicolas Cage movie she she has this weird obsession with Nicolas Cage just as a meme (laughs) and so this new Nicolas Cage movie stars obviously Nicolas Cage playing the role of Nicolas Cage (laughs) And it's really? called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> oh, wow. And so it's about... <laughs> basically, he, he, he's down on his luck. He needs money, which actually apparently did happen. Mm-hmm. And he, he takes a quote-unquote role of showing up at this millionaire's birthday party for a million dollars. And so the story revolves around him. And this millionaire is played by Pedro Pascal. Uh, most notably from the Mandalorian and uh, it's their hijinks and them trying to come up with a movie together and their friendship and all that kind of stuff. But within this movie, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, you really can't erase the image of God from you (laughs) because so many themes come up and they actually, there's so many meta narratives and self-referential Cody's going to be suggesting that the movie service just as soon as that thing (laughs) no there's too many f-bombs for that (laughs) (laughs) Um, but they even get into when they're talking about the movie and this is what the movie kind of turns into minor spoiler alert Mm. he's like it turns into this thriller with these dueling Christ characters (laughs) so the sacrificial you know, slay the dragon, get the girl kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they even explicitly brought up the Christ theme in Hollywood, which happens all the time. And even when that's playing out, you have the men acting sacrificially on behalf of their women. Mm. Even mm. to the point where this isn't really a spoiler, they knock a guy out. And Nicolas Cage tells his wife in the movie, 
get his gun and she gets his gun and hands it to him so mm-hmm. he can protect her. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like even as with as woke as Hollywood wants to be mm, with right. as insane as we want to be with sexual ethics and whatever, that still <laughs> you, mm. you can't get rid of it. No, you cannot get rid of that. So, you know, I, I would assume that there'd be some uh, some opponents who would say, well, you know, that's just to uh, the, those decisions were made to play up the larger than life nature of uh, of what Nicolas Cage as a as a meme or idea has become. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at his roles, I mean, it's very much uh, um, that. Uh, uh, oh, goodness. I. I um, I mean, in some cases, there's that not necessarily an underdog, but the unexpected, right? Where, uh, what you, you know, Conair with the uh, the convict turning into the guy who kind of calling the shots and getting everybody out, or um, the uh, the scientist uh, on in, in the in the rock saving um, all of San Francisco from VX gas. You know, it's just uh, the uh, the scholar, uh, you know, kind of running around and. Uh, uh, reclaiming the Declaration of Independence, you know, all of these is just these big, larger than life things. So I think a lot of opponents would uh, of of that line of thinking would say it was it was done up to do that. But there's there's a problem with that, and it's that that formula of and and, and I don't want to sound insensitive here, but it's the formula of like masculine driven uh, heroism works, and there's a reason it works. There's a reason why stereotypes are funny. Stereotypes are funny because they're based on truth. You know, mm-hmm. cinema tropes work because they're expected, right? They're mm-hmm. expected because we're used to them. There's normalcy there. Um, sometimes it's uh, it's set up, uh, you know, within maybe a franchise itself, um, like Obi Wan Kenobi saying "Hello there," um, or uh, or it's just something that's already been normalized by historical culture and the norms that have formed around of such such as that kind of that masculine role of uh of protection so mm. that's my thoughts there yeah mm. bradley any thoughts there on on the gospel according to nicholas cage <laughs> no i mean I, I just had this thought while john was talking so uh, i can't say i fully fleshed that it you out you should but- get another co-host yeah, no, no. <laughs> but but you know, John says there's there the, these these kinds of stories work, and there's a reason why they work. The reason why stereotypes are funny. Um, and then if you think about what might be called some some of the sources of counter narratives uh, in in our culture, uh, and the first thought that comes to mind is Disney. Yeah, I made the comment mm-hmm. to my wife. Uh, when we we actually went to Disney back in January, mm-hmm. um, as I said, you know, it's it's really dawning on me for the first time that none of the stories that you know really uh, around which this whole place is created, this magic kingdom, as it were, uh, include male heroes. Yep, they are all fairy tale princesses. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and in so many cases, the, uh, the, the, the male character, the male lead is almost always the antagonist and the antagonist or a, an afterthought, right? Um, sure. you know, mm-hmm. a, a secondary character that is generic and, you know, the, the prince in all of the fairy stories of Disney is this almost 
like this caricature that has so little to do with the story at all. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not trying to say that that women can't be heroes in some places and con. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's it's a counter narrative that comes out of that place. And and should we be shocked at all at what they're saying their agenda is now? Uh, which we talked about in the last episode, yeah, right. I know. So it, it, it's just interesting to me. There's a, uh, I made the statement on Sunday, there's a hint of truth in all of our fairy stories. And, and there's also the, the counter narratives that have echoes of lies of the, of the anti-God, anti-Christ uh, sentiment that you can, you can, you can find those, you know, as quickly as you can the other. So it's just interesting. Yeah. Uh, so thought number two. Uh, so our main, our typical, I'll say typical pattern uh, here at Resurrection Church is preaching straight through books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So we are currently in Luke 11. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we spent, what, four or five weeks in the first 13 verses, something like that. So I was kind of looking ahead and in Luke 12, Mm-hmm. I think we have, and and this this could connect with I think Luke seventeen, Mark thirteen, and Matthew twenty four. One of the sources of so much eschatological confusion and timidity, because all of the systems of eschatology. So you have whether it's post millennialism, you have things that have to happen before Jesus returns. Even amillennialism has things that have to happen before Jesus returns. Premillennialism, historic or dispensational, both have things that have to happen until Jesus returns, right? Before the return of Jesus. But then you get Luke 12, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What verse? Uh, 40. Okay. And so my contention is, I, and obviously I'm more open-handed about this than, you know, things like the Trinity, uh, <laughs> is... That's more than likely the coming of the Lord in judgment, right? I know this is a little bit of a hobby horse for me, but if if we take things like no one knows the day or the hour, like in Matthew 24, I don't think he's talking outright eschatologically. I think he's talking judgment on Jerusalem, just like the coming of the Lord throughout the Old Testament and then here in Luke 12 and later in Luke 17. Mm. So this also isn't me trying to uh, infiltrate Bradley's sermon preparation a couple weeks. <laughs> so, but you're you're saying what that as opposed to this being a statement um, about his second coming, this is what this is. So at the end of Luke eleven, let me scroll down on. Apologies. So he gives the sign of Jonah. So yep. this generation is an evil de- generation that seeks for a sign, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then at the very end, he gives his woes to the Pharisees. And, and then the lawyers are like, hey, you're insulting us too. And he's like, yeah, y'all are messed up too. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, let's talk about you. <laughs> right. Right. And so he's, he's pronouncing judgment on the leadership in Jerusalem. And then that flows into beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Right. Yep. And by the way, don't fear them. Fear God, who can throw you into hell. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it all just keeps. It's the same line of thought throughout 
that chapter and I think even through chapter 13 yeah. as he's addressing all of these things. And so who is he talking to? He's talking to specific people. You must be ready for something that you're going to experience in this generation. Obviously, I'm kind of importing from Matthew 24 uh, because he's talking to this generation. And then Peter says, are you telling this uh, for us or for all? Right. And so Jesus is saying, truly, I say to you, like repeatedly, you know, so he's talking to those particular people. They need to be ready for the coming of the son of man. You're talking. So you're th- you're saying that, that the statement about you don't know, you must stay ready because mm-hmm. you don't know is, is addressed to the Pharisees is addressed to the people that Jesus was talking to immediately. And who was he talking to immediately? Uh, at that point, his disciples, if yes. Yeah. So he's if talking to, to 22. He's talking to his disciples. Talking to his disciples. Y'all, and, and that's a plural you in Greek. Yes. Is y'all need to be ready. So. And which means that he's coming. So I'm still trying to understand what you're saying about the difference between coming in judgment versus like what, what, because when it, when he says stay dressed, for action, keep your lamps burning, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a mm-hmm. wedding feast so that you, you they may open the door to him once when he comes mm-hmm. and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and they will come and serve him, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you must also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Right. So is he, you're saying he's talking about his first coming, not his second coming? No, I think the coming of the Lord uh, is not necessarily Jesus showing up in the flesh is kind of what I'm saying. So, so in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord is always a judgment. judgment. Okay, I understand right. what you're saying. Um, and so you get down to 45, but in, if that servant says uh, to himself, my master's delayed, right, mm-hmm. gets drunk beats servants, whatever. Um, you you also have that paralleled in Matthew 24. Yeah, okay. That's what right, you're saying. Right. What you're saying. It, it, and so they try to make that about the rapture, but he's paralleling mm. this to Noah, right? Yeah. And so who was taken when when the flood happened? Who was taken was everybody that was judged and killed. And the people who were left with no, Noah, I think I agree. You know, I hear you. Know. you. I think I agree with that. I yeah. mean I I I think the overall the 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 context of those statements is it, it begin, or I, I think the foundational context for those statements is in verses 32 and following fear, not yeah. little flock. He's talking to his disciples for it is your father's good pleasure yes. to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where they're, where no thief approaches, yeah. no moth destroys, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So he's talking about having a, an eternal perspective on this life now right. and living in light of that. Right. And so uh, that, yeah. And there's, totally, there's absolutely an, an, an application for us. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Uh, especially the fear not, because normally when this kind of thing gets preached is y'all need to be ready. Exactly. Yeah. Q, right. QDC talks. I wish we'd all been ready. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But don't be afraid because the father's giving you the kingdom. He's giving you the kingdom. Yeah. I, right. I, I hear you. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, John, no, any thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, no, I just, was really just zero thoughts in John's head right now. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. I, w- when you brought up those passages, though, it immediately brought back sentiments from my youth. Be like, I, you know, I can't think about the return of Christ because then he won't come. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, if I'm expecting it, you know, he, he won't, he won't come. Uh, it's, like kid, never, it's like a kid. It's like, it's like a kid trying to go boils. to sleep before Santa comes. Or something, <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't go to sleep. He's not going to come. Uh, he, yeah. He's afraid that St. Nicholas will come and slap him like yeah. he did Arius. Yeah. Right. Uh, but no, I, uh, I, I think I agree with that is, uh, uh, <laughs> agree with that as well. Um, and that's an interesting, uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective that I uh, I hadn't considered before. That's cool. I like that. I've been listening to a lot of Joe Boot and Gary Demar. So, anyway, uh, who wants to go next, fellers? What are y'all chewing on? Go, John. Uh, well, um, the first one is my wife came home with a loaf of Ezekiel bread uh, the other day. So uh, I've uh, I'm going to try that. You know, that's that's the Bible bread. Um, that's the so, stuff that's cooked over poop. I have no idea. It's like <laughs> the, the ingredients are from, you know, from scripture, I guess. Take, <laughs> take unto ye. Have you guys not heard of this stuff? No. Yeah. No, but do tell. I, I, I have heard Hold of on. it. Hold on. <laughs> but um, this is your time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my, my wife's photographer, people know this. Um, so yeah, Ezekiel 4 9 bread. Um, and, uh, my wife's a photographer and she does, uh, she's the staff photographer for a, a couple of the neighborhood magazines here in town because some neighborhoods have magazines because hashtag extra. Um, and apparently the people who she, uh, worked with yesterday uh, are friends with the owners of the Ezekiel bread company out of, uh, out of Arizona. And, uh, it is a flourless bread, even though it's made with wheat. So it's not wheat free. It's that the grains aren't necessary, aren't ground. Um, it's food for life is the name of the company. Ezekiel 4.9. Take also unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and spelt and put them in one vessel. Oh, well, there's, there's your recipe. Um, it, it's, it's that and a handful of wheat gluten. So um, I've been like, huh, like, and it's not like, they're not like, uh, you know, Jewish, right. It's not like this is some sort of like, uh, um, uh, kosher sort of deal. This is just sprouted grain bread. So this is so it. weird. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a whirl. Uh, maybe I'll do a little video review for the podcast launch. But the other thing um, that's actually more in serious note, um, and, and it's not, it's not too heavy, but uh, so during the last uh, couple uh, Lenten seasons, so this most recent one, and then uh, last year's uh, we've been working through uh, not, I mean, the sermon the sermon series have kind of aligned with, uh, with the different sections here. Cause they are built for kind of the 40 days of, of Lent. We've been working through these, uh, uh, these books, um, and, and I'll, I'll straight up call it out cause I don't care. So it's, uh, it's by, uh, Reverend Zach Zender, uh, a friend of my, uh, pastor, uh, from their seminary days and, uh, has a, a few different ones. One's called the red letter challenge, which I disagree with the title based upon 
anything, but it's, it, it doesn't say that like, Oh, the red letters are more important. It's just the name kind of implies that. But the one that was this year was called the bean challenge. And, and on the certain, and, and, and in general, not the bean challenge being that was, that was, a, Oh, that was a, okay. That was, that was a running joke all of Lent because Aaron just, that is a one syllable word to, to pastor Hutton. That is just the bean challenge. Be making beans. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, so the, the, the idea of this is, uh, and there's a kid's version, which is what I'm going to get to in a second. But the idea of it is it focuses on uh, the, uh, the keystone habits of Christ, right? It's it, the book is, is a script. It is scripturally based about uh, kind of emulating and practicing the habits of what the key, what he's identified as the keystone habits of Christ, which involve um study scripture, prioritize prayer. Um, uh, oh, choose church. Um, and they're all kind of, uh, what is that? Uh, there's a word to describe the kind of wordplay. Um, yeah. Prioritize scripture or, or prioritize prayer, study scripture, choose church. Um, and there's a couple other ones and it doesn't really matter. The, the text is, is good. It really is. Um, but here's, here's my challenge. The author uses ex- first off the ex- the user uses the the author uses excerpts from the message in some cases. Um, yes, in sir. The adult, in the adult, both the adult and the kids text. Speaking of, have you all seen the uh, the message onlyism Facebook page? No. no, where they make memes about being the message only instead of KJV only. It's <laughs> okay. hilarious. I'm glad it's a meme page. Cause I was yeah. like, dude, I don't need another reason to leave. It's, it's like, all I a don't. big joke. Yeah. Go okay, ahead. Good. I'm going to check that out. Cause that, that, that speaks to my heart. Uh, <laughs> and like, I can allow for, if it's used with discernment as an illustration, I can, I can kind of do some mental hurdles and be like, yeah, okay. You can use it as a teaching tool. Okay. Um, but especially in the kids version, I noticed just in this, just in the last, the last section. So it's separated into days, right. That go for the 40 days. Um, and, uh, uh, and so each, uh, each section of each keystone habit has like, you know, four days or, or five days or six, whatever. Um, and we're on the study scripture, um, cause we, we, we're just continuing to do it, uh, past, past Lent, um, Cause it is, it is good. Um, but my, my concern and my discomfort comes in this. And then one section, this is three pages worth five scriptural references, all from different translations. Well, technically four from different translations, one from one, uh, novelization, um, being the message. And this isn't something to chew on theologically. It just bothered me. And I knew that I was going to bring it up today because I needed to. I I haven't I haven't gone exegetical on this yet, but on the surface, it appears that different versions are being chosen to highlight the author's mo. Mm-hmm. Yep the the language of it. And geez, I don't want that to be the case, but I. I can't, I can't get around it. Like, and it's not, it's not even like, um, you know, you can bounce between NIV and RSV and ESV and kind of like very similar 
in in some ways and maybe it's just uses a slightly different change of of a verb or or something but this is like new american standard bible new revised standard uh new king james version esv message in three pages half of which are illustrations so every, i mean like so kudos for scr- for cramming that many scripture references into into something and actually using it cohesively which it was but the method in which those translations were chosen seemed to highlight that there's a little bit of bending going on. I don't like that. I'm not wrestling with it. I just needed to tell somebody. Yeah, that's zero fun at all. <clears throat> yeah, it bothers me. Well, what 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 you talking? Good. That's the, that's the problem. It's it's a good text. It's a good study program, and I I agree with the Keystone Habit idea. I like. You can you can clearly see those identified throughout Scripture, not just in the uh, uh, the the earthly life of Christ. Like all of it is the the thesis or the abstract of the book is spot on, but I just I just feel really bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I think the reason you do, John, is it's it's not to say that. There's one, you made a joke about message only ism or <laughs> King James only ism. There's not a particular translation of the Bible that we right. need to herald and privilege in and of itself. Um, there are better translations than others. Mm. And I think we've talked about that on the podcast before. I mean, you, you talk about. Uh, formal equivalence versus dynamic equivalence, yep. um, a, a word-for-word translation versus a thought-for-thought. Um, it, it's not that the thought-for-thought translations like NIV, NLT, things of that nature, and you, you would probably put the message in its own category. It's it's not that those things are inherently bad or wicked, but what they do is they privilege the reader mm. over the text. Yeah, And that's what I think we push back on if we're paying attention is because we realize the words that matter are, are that's what's to be privileged. Mm -hmm. That's why I prefer a word for word translation. And I prefer not to use multiple translations in order to make my point because it's, it's what I'm doing effectively is, is privileging the hearers, the listeners over and above the word of God, the inspired text. We need to, consider the text it's not that the readers hearers don't matter they do matter but what we want them to do is wrestle with the text we want them to realize that this is what matters mm-hmm. it's it's not just how you feel about it we're, we're, we're not just trying to help you feel good about something we're we're wanting you to understand what's true and if you put that first i think you're going to tend towards primarily using a word-for-word translation and sticking with that and prompting people not to just sort of gather up a few sound bites that help them live a better life, but actually consider the words that these biblical authors were inspired to write. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll get on board and say, you know, there are some translations that make, that make the spirit of the text more clear. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. but say that. I, I get that this is the kids' version, but I got the adult version upstairs, and it does the same thing, and then without explanation, right? Um, and 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 what you just said, John, not to interrupt, but make the spirit of the text or the heart of the text clear. 
that's what every teacher does. Right. You know, I feel like in one sense, I get up and read, we get up and read every Sunday from a formal equivalence translation. And then my commentary probably is in the realm of a dynamic equivalence is that yeah, I'm yeah. trying to but, give the, but it's informed by that's the key, the formal yep. equivalent. Like that's yeah. it's, it's where your starting point is that, I mean, like not, not to go down some rabbit hole about the state of, uh, of modern homiletics, but you know, even pastors that's, you know, that, that say, you know, they're not doing a Ted talk or an inspirational speech. Um, like I, Every time I think of of what a what a, a sermon should be, right? I I think back to uh, Philip and the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopians there is reading Isaiah, I believe, and uh, and Philip asks, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And he and, and the Ethiopian reply, Ethiopian eunuch replies back, "How am I to understand if no one is to teach me?" But he mm. craves that understanding. Yeah, yeah. And what Philip doesn't do is he doesn't dumb it down to tropes and platitudes and yeah yeah uh, you know it just gives them the beatitudes and be like there you go you so to you. Yeah. before we move on to bradley and what he's chewing on so here is from the message only ism page so here's a true uh dynamic equivalence <laughs> their version of the message from first corinthians 7 7 I wish you could all be like me, but I know you're a bunch of ravenous horn dogs. So get yourself a spouse and try to be a little less degenerate. <laughs> now, word for word equivalent from Ezekiel 4, starting in verse 12. This is what the Ezekiel bread is missing. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. And the Lord said, thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself from my youth up until now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. Then he said to me, see, I assign to you cow's dung instead of human dung. Hold on. Oh. Is that the context? Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not feeling so good about that bread, then, are you, John? I wondered why it had to be kept in the freezer. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Good. We're definitely we're definitely doing a video reveal on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, speaking of speaking of translations, the uh, the one I pulled right off the shelf is the uh, NRSV. So uh, we'll just uh, gilded even. Uh, we'll just go. Oh, with there that. you go. Um, yeah. So Bradley, what do you got? Um, well, there's several. I, I, if I had to pick one, uh, you know, the elders at Res just went through a 26-week uh, elder training program with Brian Onkin uh, and the River. And then we also had Brian in to teach a spiritual gifts class um, in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know, I've just been thinking about... <clears throat> The, the work and move of the spirit in the life of the church. And I've made no secret about my background uh, church wise, denominationally on this podcast and how it, it, I, I had to, and I think it was the, it was the, the work of the Lord or the leading of the Lord to, for me to leave that denomination, you know, distance myself from that, a lot of that bad doctrine and um, experience, but, 
I've, I've just had this desire in me to see more of a gift-based culture of ministry in the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something we really talked a lot about in both the elder training program and in the spiritual gifts class is awareness of spiritual gifts uh, in the body of Christ and a leaning into those kinds of things because, and, and, you know, Cody, you posted something about Stovall Weems at Celebration Church and uh, mm-hmm. what's gone down with him. And, and we've talked at length about the celebrity pastor, CEO pastor model and the dangers, the inherent dangers that go along with that. What might be the alternative to a growing, thriving, healthy church, even a large church? I'm not saying that our goal at Res is to be a huge church numerically, but mm-hmm. I don't think the New Testament is opposed to large church. Right. Um, that I, I just don't think you can make a biblical case for that. So what might it look like? How might we go about pursuing growth in the church, capital C, the body of Christ, without celebritizing and you know putting up certain men on pedestals that lead to all these dangers? What would be the alternative to that? Would it be a group, a gathering, a, a congregation of saints that is truly equipped for the work of the ministry that there's a there's a, a a culture of ministry that's based on giftedness you know for paul to say in first corinthians 12 or 7 to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good right uh, and there's just so many things about the, the modern church culture that i think work against us in that way and i think they're true of res too we gather so infrequently for example we gather once a week as a whole uh, mm-hmm. This whole congregation we gather as a week. And so when we gather once a week as a whole, what's typically going to be privileged in that gathering? Well, it's going to be uh, ministry in the word, and it's going to be ministry in prayer and ministry in song. And those are only a few gifts within the body of Christ. And I don't, I don't know that the modern church and the way it tends to function nowadays lends itself to a lot of gift awareness. Hmm. It was interesting to yeah. me that in this class we just did at Res, and and you know we had a large number of people take this class, and as we got into First Corinthians twelve through fourteen and began to talk about spiritual gifts, one of the immediate questions that got raised among those taking the the class is like, how do I know how I'm gifted? Because we we talked about openly that we don't think spiritual gifts tests are biblical. I'll go that far. I don't think they're biblical yeah. because I don't think the Bible points me towards self-assessment when it comes to spiritual giftedness. I think Cody's supposed to recognize the gifts in me and John's mm-hmm. supposed to recognize, hey, I see the spirit working in and through you in these ways. This might be how you're gifted. Let's lean sure. into that. Let's grow in that. That's how the body of Christ is, disp- is supposed to identify giftedness. And yet we gather so infrequently. And when we do gather, Certain gifts are privileged, and I think rightfully so. Mm-hmm. I'm raising a problem without really giving a possible solution is how how could we expect to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry? Maybe we're equipping, but we're just not really giving people a sense or, or creating spaces for the work of the ministry to take place where you know gifts within the body of Christ can be utilized for his glory. Because I, you know. And where are the Barnabases? 
right? I mean, Paul is obviously lauded and rightfully so in the New Testament. But, you know, it was Barnabas that when he goes over to um, um, Antioch, he's sent by Antioch mm-hmm. or, or by the, by the uh, apostles in Jerusalem. He's sent to Antioch because the, the spirit was breaking out there. People were being saved. And he goes over there and he goes, I need Paul. I need to go get Paul, who at that point was, people were still scared of him. He really had not come on the scene. And it was Barnabas, I think, exhibiting the gift of administration, yep. connecting yep. dots, putting people in the right spot, in the right place, um, that really launched the career of the Apostle Paul. So mm. um, I think that's a that's a question that's maybe more ecclesiastical. Help me, Cody. Ecclesiastical. Yeah, ecclesiastical than it is theological um maybe uh, but i think both are i I mean i i think i think you do uh you do hit that hit that nerve i mean how many of us can can relate to uh uh so often the emphasis in the local church on uh empowering the uh, empowering the congregation is to get them to volunteer on a sunday morning yeah Right. Like, like it's, it's like, that's like, we just had our volunteer. We just had like our volunteer appreciation Sunday. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is nothing different. It's just, we say thank you to our volunteers at the end. And somebody (laughs) donated a bunch of books that say thank you in different ways from, I I don't know, whatever it it was. It was a night. It's a thought that counts. Um, (laughs) I'm a terrible person. Um, it's the bread. I'm just right. It's the bread. I haven't had the bread. It's, it's that crappy bread. Uh, no doubt. Um, it is kosher, by the way. I didn't look it up. Uh, but so often it's, even if you're like, I, I realize that this kind of uh, crosses the line over from spiritual gifts to like, you know, just like things you're decent at. But it's like, are you good at mowing? Well, Christ Clippers is for you. Come mow our lawn. You know, <laughs> if, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. He's uh, a role. You know, yeah. <laughs> do you like kids? Come teach Sunday school. Um, but like, there's no preparation there other than like, you know, here's, you know, here are your responsibilities. It's not uh, like, uh, and I think that's everywhere. Um, I, I know that uh, that at, at Christ Lincoln we are we are striving towards this. Uh, I think they're calling it like a leadership program, and and I don't think that's the right word to use for it because mm. really what it is is it it, it seems to be just a, a really a program that helps discern and refine uh, spiritual gifts and uh, and how they can be leveraged in the, in the church and the community. And it's just getting off the ground. And so I'm sure there'll be some, some iterative improvements and in, in whatnot. Um, but something more, uh, more intentional, more focused on the mission of the church rather than on the church, small C, you know? Yep. But somehow we've got to like, I mean, you're hitting on some key theological points about spiritual gifts, John, that I, I wonder if if the large majority of Christians and churches really 
either understand or emphasize at all is that spiritual gifts and natural talents are not necessarily the same thing. Yep. Right. They might, they, in fact, they aren't the same thing mm-hmm. at all. That doesn't mean they might not go together. Right. Sure. I think I'm, I think I'm pedagogically competent. Mm-hmm. I can stand up and talk in front of a crowd, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my spiritual gift is teaching that the way in which the spirit of the living God wants to make himself known through me. That's next level, right? Beyond pedagogical competency. And so I think you, you, to understand and know that just identifying that someone has abilities to cut grass or organize a file drawer or, right. you know, work with kids that, that we've thereby discovered their spiritual gifts, not yeah, necessarily. An, an ability can be a manifestation of a spiritual gift, right? Or the way I would say it, John, is that an ability that we have might be something that the spirit leverages and puts a supernatural edge on. Mm. So that when I teach, you know, if, if I like I'm a teacher and I think I'm spiritually gifted to teach, which means that if someone asked me to teach a class on um, if I was mechanical, how to, like you do, John, how to repair and rebuild and restore an old truck. Mm-hmm. If I, if I had that knowledge, I think I could stand up and teach a class on that because I have, I have communication skills. Sure. But that, that in and of itself doesn't mean that the spirit wants to make himself known through me in the, in teaching, but when he does, it's he's putting a supernatural edge on right. a natural ability that I have. But I don't think necessarily that the gift of teaching requires, always requires that what we might call pedagogical competency, because the Apostle mm-hmm. Paul was apparently not that impressive in person, mm-hmm. but gifted to teach. Yes. And there have been there have been times when we've gotten in the car after small group where I've led a discussion that I just felt was clunky hmm. or man, I did terrible. And then Kristen, like, obviously she's biased granted, but she would be like, no, that was a really good discussion. I'm like, hmm. okay. Hmm. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> you know? So that's the point. I mean, uh, yeah, also is yeah. that, is that like uh, that discernment uh, and it often falls on other members of the body of Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's Good right. Stuff. Uh, Quick in- inquisition. Uh, let's accent today. I'll just carry it over for next week. All righty. So, on that note, thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor. Go make some music. We'll see you next week. Amen and amen. Uh huh.